0: Hello and welcome to Free the Seed. This podcast is for anyone interested in the plants we eat. Farmers, gardeners, and food-curious folks who want to dig deeper into the story of where their food comes from. It's about how new crop varieties make it into your seed catalogs and onto your tables. In each episode, we hear the story of a variety that has been pledged as open source from the plant breeder that developed it. I'm your host, Rachel Holtengren. This episode is a little different from the previous episodes. Instead of a moderately uniform, finished variety, we'll be talking with Don Tipping of Seven Seeds Farm about a diverse spinach population that he has pledged to be open source. Popeye, which is available through Don's seed company, Siskiyou Seeds, has been selected for traits that are important to farmers in Southern Oregon, where Don's farm is located. In addition to the details of the breeding work behind Popeye, Don shared his thoughts on broader topics relevant to the future agricultural system to which he hopes to contribute. A heads up about some of the sound quality. When I spoke with Don, he was out in his fields, and you'll hear the wind blowing by a bit. Our conversation started with Don explaining that his farm isn't a prime spinach seed-growing region in the U.S., and how that inspired him to breed spinach.
1: Well, I live in southwestern Oregon, which is known as the banana best. Oregon because we have hot, dry summers and cool, moist winters. So a bit of a Mediterranean climate that gets perhaps a little more extreme in the winter. So typically spinach is grown as a spring and a fall crop because it doesn't do well in the heat we have here. But in early May, when spring spinach crops would be growing, it can easily get up into the 90s, which is not ideal spinach growing weather. So we hadn't really produced a whole lot of spinach seed after we'd learned when we did grow spinach for a few seed companies on commercial contracts that we were just not in the right area to be growing spinach because when it gets hot, the plants bolt quickly and it doesn't have the time to build the stature to produce a good seed plant. So Popeye really started a bit as a learning experience and a, a challenge to that notion of should we only grow seeds in the area of, of the country or the world where it's most well-suited, which is a bit the industrial model, I would say, you know, that we breed for a particular market and we only grow the crop in the area where we can maximize production. And there are many problems with this that I'll come back around to it, that whole mindset of why that's problematic. So Popeye was a bit of an experiment to see like, well, can we disprove that? Can we grow a better spinach for our area by breeding one here for our conditions and our pests and diseases and so forth?
0: The first step in the experiment to see if he could create a better spinach for Southern Oregon by breeding spinach in Southern Oregon was to create what Don referred to as a synthetic variety by using many varieties as founders of a single population.
1: It's a way of getting a bunch of genetics all in one variety, if you will, like an unstabilized variety. So instead of a cross between just two known parents, you might have six parents. In plant breeding circles, this would be called a synthetic cross. If we're creating a synthetic variety from numerous parents. So in, inside of Popeye is abundant Bloomsdale, Bloomsdale longstanding, winter giant, Manapa, and a few other strains. I actually got some commercial seed that was bred for disease resistance, is bred into it. So we have both Savoy and leaf spinach crossed into it to basically just get the widest genetic profile that we can create. And then that gives us something to select from.
0: In a practical sense, how how did you go from having those different varieties that already existed to having um, a population that you could select from? We spoke with Carol Deppi in a previous episode about doing hand pollinations with squash. And is that how you go about making this synthetic variety, or, or is there a different technique there?
1: So what we did is the initial cross that we created was a cross of the, the varieties that I mentioned. And that came from, you know, we run a small seed company here on the farm called Siskiyou Seed. We grow about half the seed ourselves on the farm. And then I buy some seed from other small family farm growers. And whenever we're buying seed in, I always grow some of it so I can get familiar with it. So I was doing a trial. This is the origin of where this whole breeding project came from a trial of four different varieties and evaluating them just so i can be familiar with them in terms of being able to sell it because i feel like you can't really sell what you don't know and then we have a lot going on on our farm a lot of diversity so sometimes things get away from us so that trial happened i looked at it made some notes and then came back and noticed oh they're all crossing with one they're all flowering and bolting
0: this is a common thread in many plant breeding stories The importance of serendipity and observation. Sometimes you find something that you weren't expecting by paying attention and being open to possibilities.
1: So I just let the initial crossing occur without any selection. Just let them intermate freely just to get the mixing. And that's something I learned from Frank Morton was to make sure that you have thorough mixing between varieties before you begin trying to select because sometimes the plants will largely especially wind pollinated plants like spinach it'll pollinate with just its immediate neighbors so that first iteration they just flowered and pollinated amongst themselves and then i grew it out again i think three more times letting it intermate and that's where i began to do selection for bolting because here as i mentioned we the heat can come on real fast in the spring and a beautiful bed of spinach will very quickly just become, uh, you know, not harvestable from a commercial level. And then at that point too, I began to add in other varieties as I learned about other varieties of spinach. Um, another one we added in there is called noble giant. And I got that from Alan Adesi, who's a organic grower up near Eugene. And, that one has leaves that can get to be bigger than the palm of your hand. It's a really impressive, large leaf. And Normally, I don't think people would cross flat leaf with Savoy spinach. You would say, oh, well, you're going to you know, make it be too wide and diverse. And that was more my goal of like, well, let's see all the greatest possibilities in what spinach can do and then narrow it down. And Don
0: has worked to narrow it down since he created the population by selecting for a handful of high priority traits. He'll walk through the field and rogue plants, let's pull them out of the ground, that don't fit with his vision for the variety. He explained how spinach has separate male and female plants, which is a rare trait in crop plants. If you're growing spinach in your garden, it's not important to be able to tell the difference between males and females. Both of them will produce leaves. But if you're going to save seed from the plants, whether a given plant is male or female can affect how you look at it. Don explained that when he selects for bolt resistance, he has to take a close look at the flowers before deciding whether to pull an early bolting plant out of the ground. Can you tell me about the different criteria that you used to do that selection work already?
1: Yeah, so you know, again, my primary goal is the bolt resistance. So when the plants are just first beginning to bolt, I'll go through the rows and pull all the plants that are bolting in, and, and, you know, making notes of in a dioecious species, the males usually bolt first. So, you know, can you really select for bolt resistance by looking at just the males? They're always going to flower first. We really, we need to look at bolt resistance in the females so that we know the plants that we're getting the seed from are going to be the most bulb resistant So you have to get in there and kind of get down low and really look and see, who are you? Are you a male or a female?
0: How can you we tell ideally which is a male plant? Do the leaves look any different?
1: They have to be showing sex organs to be able to differentiate that.
0: The flowers of spinach are distinct, but because they're not showy like squash blossoms, it takes a keen eye and someone who knows what they're looking for to distinguish a male plant from a female plant.
1: Yeah, you have to get down there and and determine, you know, what what do you see? So if if I'm doing that roguing, which initially is happening at a walking pace down the row, and I pull that plant up, I want to look at it and see, are you a male? And then let's say I'm 10 plants into my roguing, and I realize I've rogued 10 male plants, I'll I'll realize I have to pay a little closer attention to what's going on.
0: Don also selects for leaf texture, pest resistance, and plant architecture. The way the plant stands up in the field?
1: With pop I've been tending towards flat leaf spinach because sometimes we will get aphids in spinach, and I find that the boy ones tend to harbor those more. But one downside of flat leaf spinach is that, let's say you're doing baby leaf spinach and you you want your bags to look full as a grower. Well, the flat leaf definitely packs down a lot more, so it takes a lot more leaves to make a bag look full. So. I'm kind of looking for something that is a bit of a, a point in between, slightly savoy, if you will. Uh, that's my just preference. I have no idea if the world likes that or not. That's what I like in spinach, so it's easy to focus on <laughs> and selecting for the ones that I like. And then another thing I've been looking for. Sometimes we get leaf miners, which I'm sorry, I don't know the Latin name of them, but they affect Swiss chard, beets, and spinach. And they're an in insect whose larval stage tunnels in between the the leaf margins, leaving these tracks. So I'll rogue out any plants that are showing significant damage from leaf miners, hopefully breeding for resistance in that way. Another thing, we use predominantly overhead watering with crops like that. I'll look for plants that have a lot of mud splash on them, and I'll rogue those ones out because, for one, it requires more washing and to, I believe I'm selecting for more upright plants, which are easier to harvest. Less of the leaves are lying on the ground like a rosette, like plantain or something, or a dandelion. More upright, like the way a Swiss chard plant would grow. So that's been another primary consideration for me. It's the growth habit. With my breeding protocols, I have really shifted towards just breeding things that work for most home gardeners, because I realize that's primarily our clientele. So things that are novel, that you know, spinach that is late bolting but also produces really large leaves uh, can be a really of, of a lot of interest to home gardeners and extend the period over which that they can be harvesting food from the plant.
0: And have you had feedback from people in Southern Oregon in the same region that you are growing it off your farm and giving you feedback on it?
1: Yeah, I'm beginning to. Market gardeners—they're a difficult bunch to. Way to try a new variety. Home gardeners will just try something just because it's a bit more of an impulse buy. I've noticed. So they're just like, oh, this sounds good. However, market gardeners they settle on their variety. They grow and they know that that works for them. So they just continue to buy the same thing year after year. So it's taken a few years to break into the density of that mindset and to have people try it out. And I'm grateful for this opportunity to share a bit of the backstory behind this, because I think those of us that are doing plant reading, it's a bit of an obscure art form for folks, even who are farmers, to understand the work that goes into it and the level of attention and the thought process behind it. So I think once people are able to hear a bit more of, you know, well, what are you doing? Why are you creating a new variety? There's so many varieties of spinach out there. Why do we need a new one?
0: In the catalog description of Popeye, Don notes that it's a good example of bioregional adaptation. That's a phrase that describes a variety that has been selected to do particularly well in a specific environment, like Southern Oregon, instead of being selected to do moderately well over larger geographic areas. Don explained that because Oregon doesn't account for a large portion of the U.S. spinach production, Spinach hadn't been bred specifically for the conditions experienced on his farm.
1: Most of the spinach that's eaten in the country is produced in central California, the Salinas Valley. So the breeding is done for that environment, in that environment, for that marketplace. But the seed is produced in Washington, and many of the seed companies are Dutch. So it's just such a a specific thing. So nobody was breeding, you know, bolt-resistant spinach for the Pacific Northwest or particularly the warmer climates in the Pacific Northwest. So I saw an opportunity and a niche there because I also knew that from talking to market gardeners and CSA farmers that they had difficulty with spinach. You know, we'd get these heat waves and all of a sudden a whole bunch of beautiful spinach would all bolt and become useless as far as a commercial crop.
0: In addition to bioregional adaptation, We also talked about the idea of workhorse varieties, that is, varieties that don't need special treatment or extra attention, but can be grown successfully under standard commercial conditions. Would you say that your goal for Popeye spinach is that it go from being a bioregionally adapted variety for Southern Oregon to being a workhorse variety that anyone in the U.S. could grow it and they would see that it did well for them? Is that your vision for, for the variety Yeah,
1: That's my vision. I don't know if I'm going to be the person to take it all the way there. You know, maybe like to use a baseball analogy, I'm the person to get Popeye to second base. It's going to be somebody else's job to come to bat and take it all the way there because I can't claim to see the breadth of what, you know, niche spinach fills in dynamic food systems.
0: It's a bit of a paradox, according to Don. He's not in a great spot to produce good spinach seed in general because the warm temperatures early in the season cause plants to start flowering while they're still too small to be able to produce a large seed head of high-quality seeds. At the same time, that region provides the perfect environment in which to select for spinach that doesn't bolt early. Don saw that gap, the lack of spinach varieties that do particularly well in southern Oregon, as an opportunity for a breeding project to create one. He hopes to partner with folks in a better spinach-producing region to bulk the seed up so that he can start offering it in larger quantities through Siskiyou Seeds.
1: So, you know, we'll see, because I'm not in an area for producing optimal spinach seed because of our warm temperatures, but we're in a great spot to be doing breeding. So I'm seeing that one of the next steps for this would be a good collaborative relationship like the former intern, Aaron Verity, is the farm manager at the farm school up on Fashion Island in Washington. And that would be a great collaborative process to give him some stock seed and then grow up 50 or 100 pounds of Popeye so that we could have it available for market growers. And then we'd have to kind of, you know, do a little bit of a user survey and find out what do you guys think? Where should we go with this? So it's interesting when we think about plant breeding as an art because normally an artist just creates art and you either like it or you don't like it and if you don't like it the artist kind of says well fine it's my art i didn't make it for you to like it but as a plant breeder ultimately we are trying to produce something that is of value to people that they they can see an intrinsic benefit to the effort that's gone into developing the variety that ultimately serves the need that they have
0: Hmm. I've heard people describe plant breeding as a craft versus an art. Mm. You know, it's not just art for aesthetics sake, but having thinking of varieties as being crafted. So there being this engagement with the person who's going to use it and also having it be something that is pleasing Mm -hmm. and and that has taken focus and attention um, and care in, in
1: its production. Yeah. And I I really like that distinction. I'm going to have to adopt using that to differentiate uh, plant breeding as a craft. that's, That's a useful difference there.
0: So what about the name? Don described the contrast between the cartoon sailor and spinach grown in the warmer parts of the Pacific Northwest.
1: I was. Really surprised in looking at the Seed Savers Exchange that nobody had named a uh, spinach Popeye. You know, maybe somewhere it's not documented that somebody had, but that's for me and my age group and those older than me is it's one of the few vegetables that had an iconic place in you know American pop culture. And, and then when I thought about it more, I was thinking about Popeye was strong, you know, the the sailor cartoon character. But when we think about spinach as a farmer, it's kind of a wimpy plant in my mindset because most of the material available to me had been grown in Washington in terms of the seed where a 90-degree day is like setting records, whereas here that's normal for a big chunk of our growing season. So to me, there was a a bit of a paradox that here's spinach – which in the Popeye mythology is the source of strength, and yet as a plant, it's pretty wimpy uh, here in our climate. So is that just something that we accept? And I found that I'd begun to accept, oh, spinach is just this wimpy thing that you can have for a few weeks in the early spring and maybe in the fall if you're lucky. And I think ambitious plant breeding looks at quandaries like that and and ask the question can we do something about this that's again back to this being a bit of an experiment because i don't really know if i am creating anything better i i do know from looking at trials that we've continued to do where we'll we'll grow popeye next to a more commonly available variety like winter giant or bloomsdale longstanding or so forth and see oh wow you know ours Bolts a full two to three weeks later, so you put four or five years into breeding and selection, and you can extend the harvest window by a few weeks, which is a significant thing.
0: So it sounds like you've you've provided the initiative and and put in the work to create this diverse variety or this diverse population that other folks can take and select out something that works for their specific production, and you've you've given it this aspirational name. Hoping that it would be a strong, a strong spinach, um, exactly. And and so it sounds like you you don't have um, one one specific, I guess, vision for what what it'll end up being, but rather sort yeah, of an open hope that it'll it will evolve and become a, a useful variety for a lot of different people.
1: Yeah, I'm reading a book by Gary Navam. Uh, about a pilgrimage he went on through Tuscany and Umbria in Italy. And he visits with a lot of farmers who, they just have their varieties and their varieties, if you ask them, are the best in the world. And if it's an old Italian farmer and you ask them, well, where did tomatoes come from? Well, Italy, of course. You know, they won't even acknowledge that they're a Mesoamerican crop. So that's the kind of agriculture that I want to be part of in I want to see proliferate is where there's a real a deeper sense of intimacy between growers and their crops. I I personally believe that all farmers who are growing annual crops should be doing some seed saving because I believe that that whole practice is foundational to the word agriculture. I believe that's when civilization really occurred, is when we began saving seeds. So. I don't want to have to uh, play the surrogate mother of all the crops that farmers grow. I want to just maybe be like uh, the for a painter, the person that's mixing the pigments and just create some new pigments so there's more choices to uh, play with and more beauty and creativity and productivity can come out of that. So that's where I see the role that I can fulfill because I just through managing this farm can't get out into all the production fields and see how spinach is being grown. But if our local growers around here who are filling the CSA boxes and the produce shelves at the organic grocers have a better choice than the commercial hybrids that are coming from one of the multinational seed suppliers, then I feel like I've made a contribution that will hopefully have some benefit and lasting uh, impact
0: I asked Don about his involvement with the Open Source Seed Initiative, and he explained that he's been interested in issues of public, collective ownership of seeds for a long time. With Popeye, he was initially unsure whether he should pledge the variety to
1: Aussie. Carol Deppy was really encouraging when they were first getting going to pledge as many varieties as I'd developed and helped shepherd me along in order to do that, even though When we'd have these discussions, I would say, well, you know, I'm a little hesitant to put things out there in terms of saying, hey, this is totally ready for prime time because I'm aware of the amount of effort that goes in when, for instance, you know, seed companies that are producing hybrids will put a lot of work into developing a variety before they release it. So at first, I saw them as synonymous that by pledging something, you are saying, hey, world, this is a totally done. Ready for commercial planting variety. And she, she in particular said, Oh, no, you know, you just be transparent about where the variety is in the process. It's still being developed and selected. Just say that so that people understand if there's going to be some variability. And that's the case with, with this variety, right? Yeah, exactly. That whole notion of open source. It has always been near and dear to me and we used to use the term public domain back before the Open Source Seed Initiative and there was a, a project quite a number of years ago that J.J. J. Hopla spearheaded called the Farmer Cooperative Genome Project and this was probably even in the late 90s when that was happening and I was a part of that and Dr. Alan Capular had always been a very vocal proponent for public domain plant breeding and the idea that it's part of our collective, almost as if uh, seeds are something that should be in the commons, like air and water and soil and not privately owned. And I would like to see the system evolve to incorporate some aspects of at least how we understand it happens in Europe. We've been a biodynamic farm for over 20 years here and so I've been involved in a few seed initiatives through the biodynamic community and there there's more of a public understanding that seeds are part of our, our commons and that people will support plant breeding as a necessary aspect of this. Just like how most people don't balk at the idea of their property taxes going to schools. Well, you know, the children are our next generation, so we have to invest in their future. Likewise, the varieties that people are developing open source will be the future of our agriculture. So we have to invest in it if we want to have a future in agriculture. So I believe we're still really determining how to articulate that. And I I applaud the idea of using open source as a term rather than public domain because people understand open source and have accepted it as a worthy element of reality.
0: Would you have any advice for somebody who who has never taken on a plant breeding project but who is interested in maybe dipping their toe into that water
1: yeah sure thing look first off we we produce seed for a whole bunch of different seed companies for about 12 years before we started siskiu seeds and i began to be frustrated after doing that for a number of years because we would grow a variety for a company on contract say hey here's the stock seed can you grow this for us and we'll buy it at this price and we would begin to notice certain things about it, and then a year would pass, and we'd say, Oh, well, we'd love to grow that one again. And they would say, Well, we don't need seed of that one. How about this one? So we never really got to develop a deep degree of intimacy with the crops. You know, we learned a lot about growing seed through doing that, but in terms of really developing that relationship where you're growing it year after year and you're seeing, What's possible and where you could go with a variety, and really becoming what I think is more of a seed steward, where we're really curating a population for the future, for the present and the future. And that's far more interesting to me. So, in terms of advice, when I think about that, the wholesale multiplication model of contract seed growing, I see as akin to playing as a musician in a cover band, you know, where you're. Playing other people's songs, and you're not using your own material, you're not at that much of a space for your own creative expression. And when you think about in our world, where do cover bands play? Well, pretty much play in bars, and they never really go very far. Whereas the singer songwriters of the world are who captivate our attention and are part of that discussion about where's the culture going, what's, what's going on. And, The more I get involved in plant breeding, this really rings true to me and I'm seeing how I want to be part of of what's going on. And not everybody's going to like, let's say, every song I write, but that song is a a personal expression of, of my life and my experience and just me being real. So, you know, we still grow varieties that other people have bred for sure, but we're always adding our own little touch because we're doing selection and we we're telling the story, you know, so let's say we're growing seed of a variety that another grower has developed. I'll mention their name and the variety description, but I'll also talk about what our experience was like growing it.
0: I have to say, I really love that the music singer-songwriter analogy. I think that is a fantastic analogy.
1: I don't want to diss on anyone, but I do. Call it as I see it. Mm.
0: I've really appreciated getting to hear your thoughts on open source seeds and on plant breeding for your particular farm and how people can do that for their own farms and have plant breeding projects be an expression of their story and what they're doing uh-huh. and what's what's important to them on their farm. Is there anything else that you would like to tell me about your experience in breeding, Popeye, or taking part in conversations about open-source seed that you think folks would be interested in?
1: Well, I, I think just in closing, I would say choose some crops that are a challenge. And that's really that spinach project encompasses that for me. John Navazio, when he first came to my farm, he basically said something to the effect of, you have no business growing spinach seed. You're in just the complete wrong area. But people still grow spinach here, so... No better way to learn why somebody who's an expert feels so absolute about something than to take the opposite of their advice and learn why, or understand that there's other ways. You know, I really want to encourage anybody that's getting into this thing. I think it's important to do some wholesale seed production to understand how the industry works, even on the small organic scale, and begin to make connections with the people involved, but ultimately As I learned from one of my mentors, Harold Hoven, who was the farm manager at the Rural Steiner College in Fair Oaks, California, for a lot of years, he articulated that growing seed was a way that the farm individuality could be expressed, and that the unique weather, soils, and so forth, terroir, if you will, of the land can find expression. So very much so by breeding your own variety and then producing and sharing the seed is a way to make the maximum contribution of what your skills as a seed steward can be. Again, back to my music analogy, be a singer-songwriter and you'll go far. Thank you so
0: much for taking the time to talk to me today about your breeding work with Popeye spinach and your thoughts about open source seeds and the joy it can be to write your own song and, and breed your own variety.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Rachel. Really appreciate the opportunity. I enjoyed getting the top question.
0: We've been speaking today with Don Tipping of Seven Seeds Farm and Siskiyou Seeds about Popeye Spinach. Seeds of Popeye Spinach can be ordered on the Siskiyou Seeds website at siskiyouseeds.com. That's S I S K I Y O U seeds.com. And we'll have a link in our show notes on the Open Source Seed Initiative website at osseeds.org. Twice a year, Seven Seeds Farm hosts a program called the Seed Academy, which is a five-day workshop focused on seed growing, seed cleaning, seed enterprise, and plant breeding. The program includes tours of nearby farms so that participants can see models of integrated seed growing and vegetable production. The next Seed Academy will be held in May 2020. If you're interested in making seeds part of your livelihood and life path, check out their website for more details. Let us know what you thought of the episode by tweeting at OSSeeds. You can find us unlike like the Open Source Seed Initiative on Facebook to join an online community of folks interested in the future of intellectual property and plants. If you'd like, you can give us a review on iTunes, which will help other potential listeners find us there. Our theme music is by Lee Rosevere. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, I'm your host, Rachel Holtengren, and this is Free the Seed.